Because, yeah, no, that's it. So, what is that? Uh, I try to write an intro. So, oh. I won't just be like, ah, movie. No, I don't. Like, on the, the right side of bumbling, I think, is a good aesthetic. Yeah. It gets away from, like, tangent Sarah thing. Because so, that's every podcast, right? Yeah. So, that, or real play D&D. Welcome to Shite and Sound, a podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors, or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new informational insights. On this episode, we're watching number 100 on the Sight and Sound list, Imitation of Life, starring Lana Turner, and directed by the master of melodrama Douglas Sirk. Our second film this week is the Robert Aldrich film, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, the camp classic starring Betty Davis and Joan Crawford that heightens melodrama to such a screaming intensity that it reveals the true horror beneath. <laughs> my, my, yeah. is, my name is Finn Nicholas, and um, this is... I'm Euther Dean, hello. You can tell you've been writing a lot of essays recently. Oh yeah. Finn is an, an academe. I'm desperately trying to be one. Whereas I'm just pathetic. <laughs> just a lump of a man. Oh, you're a lump of a man who's also an accomplished playwright. <laughs> hey, that is true. I am quite accomplished, <laughs> if not commercially successful. <laughs> so yeah, we're still on number 93. Number 93 in Sight and Sound's list is a tie between seven films? Yeah, 93 on the list. There are seven, there are seven movies. We're on the second 93rd movie, which is number 100. <laughs> <laughs> this is a mess. I mean, it, it, it makes sense that the list is so fucked because, like, trying to categorize, oh, here's the 100 best movies is, like, inherently dumb. Uh, I mean, it's pretty simple. There are, like, 100 Land Before Time films at this point, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure there's only 17. But, but it's, it's still a lot. I like to see every Marvel film as two films. I see it first from the normal perspective, and then mm-hmm. I just go, the film is identical. Okay. But I'm like, what is the villain thinking in this? Oh. It's a real different experience. You, you think those villains have got some good ideas, some of them? Oh, I think half of them are the good guys but bad. Right. Um, you know, your Ironmonger. Ironmonger. <laughs> Iron... Classic. Classic, classic classic character. Classic character. Your Whiplash. <laughs> your um, Red Skull. Yep. Good, your... good, classic good guy. Uh, Loki, obviously. <laughs> Then, of course, Loki again in the Avengers. And then, um, is it Loki a third time in Thor the Dark World? Look, no. who's, who's seen Thor the Dark World? I mean, Christopher Eccleston's agent? Christopher Eccleston, the villain in that film? There, there is no way Christopher Eccleston watched Thor the Dark World. No, he talks about that in his autobiography, and he has not. He's very clear about, like... Yep. Just taking the money. Yeah, I think I saw some pictures of him recently, but he just took of himself standing next to some flowers. They seem to be having a great time. <laughs> yeah, he he, he, just, a... he just like tweets about like labor rights and pictures of him with flowers. It's a good guy. The, yeah. um, you know, he was on Heroes. No, I didn't know. Do that. you think Christopher Eccleston remembers that he's on Heroes? <laughs> I don't. I don't think he does. You, you think he remembers being in Seeker: The Dark Is Rising? Well, I don't know what that is. What is Seeker: The Dark Is Rising? <laughs> like a young adult fantasy thing. I guess it's based on a series of books. And there yeah. was one movie bombed hard. He, he was yeah. the, he was the bad guy. It was a it. real Mortal Instruments situation and Mortal and Mortal Engines. Um, Robert Sheehan is just the kiss of death to anything but uh, misfits. Well. If- when he, when, he, when he left Misfits, everyone was like, no, I don't care about this show anymore. Oh, but then Joseph Gilgan came on board. He's great. Joseph Gilgan. 
Uh, From This Is England? (laughs) I think all my friends stopped watching when when he left. So we started with 1953's Imitation of Life? Uh, No, it's not 1959. Ah, yeah. An Imitation of Life is a remake of an adaptation. Yes, I think so. But the novel is about a woman who um, helps... I feel like we should start. What is we should start in The Shining, which is to say, we're going to progress through a lot of hedging that freezes us. <laughs> if Imitation of Life had a theme, what would you say it was, Finn? I think we might have different themes for this movie. I think it's that show business is bad, and jazz makes you evil. <laughs> it's true. Both of those things are true. No, but there's a bigger one. It deals one issue pretty bigly, and that issue is race. Yes. And now it should be said, this is an audio medium, we're both white men. Although it should be noted, my dad keeps on pointing out we do have like 0.01% Nigerian ancestry, and my dad's very keen on letting everyone know that. I'm, it's just it's always very good to introduce ideas around blood quantum when it comes <laughs> yeah. to whiteness. Yeah, no, it's, We've it's, done it to it's everyone ve- else. It's always very helpful. Okay. It sets everyone at ease. I apologize. I... I'm I'm white. <laughs> I'm so, I'm also white. Um, and so we're going to be discussing a film that talks a lot about black people. What, what what we'd call black people. What we'd call black <laughs> Jesus people. Jesus Christ! Mm-mm. I don't know if you need to hedge that much. No, no. the term we'd say black people because that's the acceptable yeah. and accurate term. Yeah. I, I believe so. <laughs> Um, I'm just so scared. I'm going to say something. So it's but it's we're going to be fine. We're going to we're discussing a film that uses interchangeably both the word coloured, which is not great. No, um, it's better than some of the other words. Some the of the film. other words they, they use the N word, the bad racist N word, but not the worst racist N word. The one that goes N E, not N I. No, they do, they do also use the... Oh, they do? It, yeah. The other one. Yeah. In, in, the worst one. Yeah, in, in, the, in the great, like, racial violence sequence. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you, you, you already forgot that. Oh, no, I can't forget. Where, where jazz music just starts playing out of nowhere. So, anyway, so this is a film that is about uh, race, and so... And it's, firstly, it's about race in 1950s America. Yeah. Made in 1950s America. Which is just to say that as we discuss it we might dwell a lot on race but that's because the film is so when we just start introducing characters with their races the film is doing that too we're not you know yeah i mean as 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 a a filmmaker douglas sirk was someone who was like who was very interested in like in using the like form of melodrama to like look at societal issues and he he was I, i would say he was very progressive for his time yeah and i think his his films have like stood up in a way that like a, a, a lot of other films from that era just like just do not stand the test of time oh yeah like in the, the key takeaway from imitation of life is that it is like politically kind of right not it's not being like oh black people they should have some rights <laughs> the original book and i believe the first adaptation uh, is about a white woman who has a young daughter uh, one day they have to meet with a black woman who has a daughter and an important thing to know about the daughter is that she's a pale-skinned black person she's white passing they end up living together with the black woman working as the maid for the white woman. And in the book and first film, the black woman whose name in the version of Imitation of Life we saw is called Annie, so I'll just call her Annie. Yeah. Annie had an amazing pancake or waffle recipe, which the 
white woman, Laura, then made a fortune on. Really? Okay. Annie, the the maid, was just like, oh no, I'm happy just being a maid. You've just profited off my work. Anyway, so we're looking at the best version of this. Laura and Annie and their kids, Susie and Sarah Jane, are all living happily together. You're kind of happily considering that the people of colour are a clear undercut class yeah. in the world. Yeah, as the film goes on, it becomes a lot about Sarah Jane as a white-passing black woman trying to like make her own way in the world and like present as a as a white woman and her, her sort of like conflicts with, with her mother and the sort of like racism of 1950s America that she cannot seem to be able to escape. Well, yeah, and this is it's a film that is brave enough and, like, it's what the cloak of melodrama gives it is that the two white leads, that Laura and Susan, are both both act in quite appallingly racist ways. Annie and Sarah Jane call them on it repeatedly. Yeah. It, 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 is, it is a movie that understands casual racism and, like, microaggressions can have on people, especially just, like, over years and years of their lives. Yeah. And it's a very good film. It does face us with... We we, we face an issue today, which is accidentally both the films are good. Yeah. We're not going to let it happen again. No. So let's break down Imitation of Life. We're at the beach. Um, it's full of people. There are yep. so many people, it's upsetting. They're on, they're on Coney Island, I believe. Oh, uh, Laura. La- Laura ha- has has lost her daughter, Susie. She, she's, she's running around just, just looking on various balconies and just shouting Susie. Not, not that loudly. Yeah, she, she's like she wants to find her daughter, but also doesn't really want to draw that much attention to herself. Yeah, it, 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 she doesn't want the recordings to peak. It's really nice of her. That's one of the things they say about Lana Turner. Very, very considerate of audio engineers. <laughs> Look great in the dress. Audio engineers, the two things. She was we probably should say about the dress in the credits. There, there are two individual credits for her gowns and her jewels. Uh, the budget for dressing her alone on this film was a million dollars at the time. Oof. I know, which is three times the budget, the whole budget of the other film we watched. <laughs> and but it, it also looks great. It is like you can tell why people the appeal of like Hollywood golden era glamour. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I don't know if there is anyone who make. Like of this era, who made better looking films than Douglas Sirk? His films always look incredible, and his use of color is so like it's so vibrant. Yeah, and I oh, love it. But yeah, Laura wants to be a so at the beach catches up with Annie, who has found Susie, and Sarah Jane is there, and one thing leads to another as they do in melodramas. Yeah, she's like, "Do you need a maid?" And Laura is like, "Oh, I don't have the money." She's like, oh, "I'll do it for free," <laughs> in a way that feels very much like a film that is either very pro or very anti-racism would begin. Yeah, and so within less than fifteen minutes of these characters knowing each other, yeah, Annie and and Sarah Jane have have moved into the, the very small apartment. Laura and Susie share and like almost instantly it's really really quick but like Annie basically just becomes like someone who everyone in the house just like depends on and like she it's sort of we're trying trying to figure out during a movie like how how much like to what what extent the the character of Annie like has agency in in what she's doing yeah because like you 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 definitely read the film as like her having like an in-depth knowledge of 
how white people in America think and her deciding like my best path to like a good life for my daughter is to make myself incredibly useful to this white woman well and I think that's definitely in the performance yeah. in Juanita someone's performance it's in the performance and it's in the direction I don't think it's in the script you could easily shoot the script and it be borderline mammyism, which is I'm not pro. I'm going to come out and say, you're shaking your head. You Well, you I, I just remember you, you were telling me earlier how much you love Gone with the Wind. I love everything in Gone with the Wind. Every moment, every theme. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you my favourite part of Gone with the Wind, and that is it, it has the funniest child death in all of cinema. <laughs> I don't know, have you rewatched Mother recently? <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost threw up when I saw that scene in the, in the theatre. Yeah, Mother. no, so... Okay, anyway. I'm sitting. It's a sitting movie. We, we possibly should speak more about Mother when we get to Baby J, a film that is eerily similar yes. in some ways. Um, I hope that is intentional. So uh, while, while while we're still at the beach, uh, the, the the two girls meet uh, meet a man named Steve. Yeah, Juanita who... Moore is her name. Right, plays yes. Annie, who's fantastic in the yeah, movie. Yeah, she, uh, she is. Uh, in any other period of time, it would have been a star making turn. Ab- absolutely, but because it was the fifties, she probably could not attend the premiere <laughs> of the film. Um, oh no! Anyway, so at the beach they meet Steve, who is who is an amateur photographer, and I've, like the the film definitely wants us to think like Steve is the best dude of all time. Yeah, the first thing to know about Steve is that he is between either twenty or forty. It's age is weird in this movie. Um, yeah, it's a giant question mark. It's an exploding question mark. If it if anything, um, it's. He is John Gavin, who was Sam Loomis in Psycho. But he's great. And he and Laura, he and everyone get on. He's great. Everyone loves Steve. Everyone immediately loves Steve and just, like, wants their entire life to revolve around Steve and the love of Steve. In a later scene, um, we see Sarah Jane's room. Um, Sarah Jane, who has, who knows Steve, his family friend. Yeah. But no, no close association. She has three headshots of him up on the wall. Yeah, she, like, she, she has like like tiger beat like Steve posters on her wall. But it's Steve, her mum's friend's ex boyfriend. <laughs> so it's St- Steve Steve meets, meets for two girls when he's helping them to body shame a fat man. <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> By, oh my god, that's right. By placing a, a beer can on his stomach and taking a photo of it. While everyone around watches and laughs. Yeah, later on, he several months later, he ends up selling this photo to some sort of alcohol company and then ends up becoming the vice president of advertising of that company yeah. over the next ten years. That's just how jobs work yeah. when jobs used to it, exist. It's, it's a real rags to riches story. Laura has several encounters with some pretty gross show business people. Yeah. It does seem like for a bit that the moral of the film is... Let have me too but in 1959 yeah. well, at, at, at an early point in the film she meets a Broadway um, a talent agent played and, by Ellen Elder's dad yeah and immediately there are serious Weinstein vibes yeah in a way that seems almost prescient but then you go like oh no women have just always been afraid oh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's not telling the future it's telling the present and the past oh yeah no just um, just to all the women listening <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> on behalf of all men, uh, 
Okay, now that we've sorted that, she goes into an audition for this hot new playwright called Dave Edwards to to play a small role in a comedy scene. This is where we enter the period where it is people describing tiny bits of plays in a way that seems almost absurdist. Yeah, so she she has been like, she's trying to get trying to get modelling jobs, trying to get Broadway jobs, hasn't hasn't got anything so far, but she's called in for this like tiny part in, in one play and she's doing a bad job at it. I mean, she's doing a bad job of something that is deliberate bad yeah it, it yeah. appears to be some kind of like fast bedro- like yeah lots of people opening closing doors and do, doing like reactions and she does like she does a bad audition and she, she basically she knows she's done a bad audition and she she tells a playwright who's sitting in the audience no it's not my fault your scene just sucks yeah and then i think probably for the first time in history someone gets a job by script doctoring at an audition <laughs> I, th- I'm, I mean isn't that what also happens in la la land I haven't anyway. seen La La Land recently yeah. enough. <laughs> and, I mean, you'd be watching it every day to start the day at La La Land to wake oh, up. I, I, I do just listen to some of the songs sometimes. Oh, that's... There's, no, there's, there's one song in La La Land that I think is a really good song. Yeah. And that is Someone in the Crowd. Uh, I think okay. that one's really good. It's got a super catchy melody. All the other songs cannot remember a thing about. Not even... Yeah, no, I don't Yeah, no, it. exactly. Um, so so she, she gets the wrong. Yeah. She, she she tells the playwright just just cut the scene out and give the lines give the important stuff to someone else and he's like oh do you want to play that character and she says she agrees yeah and, and speaking as a playwright I was just finally happy to see a representation of the theatrical process that makes clear the implicit truth saying so finally a film that says the quiet part loud which is yes. Playwrights are both the most lauded and powerful people in the theatre. We want to get something done, and it happens. We, the playwrights. You, you, you're always in charge of the casting. Every time. Always in charge of the staging. Everything. I'm there at every audition. Mm. That is the thing about playwrights. The people <laughs> who write the play and then leave. When people hear there's, there's going to be a new Youth for Dean play in town, right. cue, it, cue it up. I mean, let's hope. Soon we'll find out. Anyway, see you later this year, Wellington. See you next year, Auckland. So the, the, this play, this apparently hilarious play, opens. Um, and... The play is called. I got the names. Oh, yeah. It's called Summer Madness. So it is hilarious. Summer so, Madness. This play opens. Everyone loves it, and then we we see sort of a montage of of time passing, yeah. and and Laura appearing in more and more of this man's plays over the, over the next ten years. It's called Sweet Summer. Happiness, always laughter, and of course, her masterpiece, Born to Laugh. This, this, this guy, he's got his themes, <laughs> he knows what he likes. Yeah. He likes comedy where you can tell it's going to be funny just yeah. by the name. Ten, and so ten years have passed, which is to say, no one has aged at all, except for Sarah, yeah, Sarah except for the children who have been replaced. Who have been replaced and are now teenagers, played by more 26-year-olds. Yeah, probably. But, like, they both do great jobs. Yeah. Sarah Jane is now played by a, a Mexican-American actress. Okay. Which raises another... I'm just going to let that float there. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say, which is, it's an interesting choice to make. Would I have made it? No. Uh, and Susie is played by Sandra D, who is now largely famous for being the subject of a lyric from Greece, I yes. would say. Um, Greece, easily my second favourite Greece film. <laughs> What's um, your first? Just the music video to the Grease Mega Medley. No, it's, it's Grease 2 with Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. my third favourite Catwoman. 
After, of course, Halle Berry. <laughs> yeah, Halle Berry and Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Oh, man, Halle Berry. I forgot. Anyway. Uh, I, a few days ago, I showed my dad the scene from Catwoman where the, 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 uh, her and What's-Face are having the, like, basketball... Sharon Stone? No, no, the, the, the basketball match and Catwoman. Oh, no. I feel like we're going to watch that at some point. Oh, almost yeah. definitely. Um, there are no superhero films on No, of list. course not. This, I mean... This is a list of good movies. Have you seen Logan? It's like a drama. <laughs> have you seen The Dark Knight? It's basically a thriller. I mean, look. Check. I'm going to say Jared Leto. Jesus. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm going to say Jared Leto's really good in that. Jared Leto. Are you excited <laughs> for the... Heath Ledger. Are you God. excited? For... You know how they made Venom and were just like Tom Hardy go wild? Yeah. Have you heard about Morbius? Uh, yes, I have. Which is the same thing, but with Jared Leto. Who? Why? <laughs> what tells you? What makes people look at Jared Leto and go... Yeah, more. More of that is what we want. You know who stars on the rise right now? <laughs> the, the guy who... The, Hollywood's golden child. You know who I really love? The worst part about Blade Runner 2. Oh, God. He's... The one thing keeping that movie from being a perfect movie is Jared Leto, as, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I'm sure there's something. I'm sure mm. there's... You know, I'm sure one of them is a terrible person. Like, yeah, but like, just like his... Entirely, entirely, like within the text of a film, his performance is the one thing stopping it from being a yeah. perfect. And of course, the heartbreaking thing is they wanted to get David Bowie. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, and then David Bowie couldn't do it for some reason. Yeah, lazy, I think. He he could have reprised his role as Nikola Tesla from from The Prestige. There is, it's an Adam and Joe bit, but they talk about how the best sitcom ever would be Bowie House, and it's just all of David Bowie's different characters living together. Anyway, no. So, she's a big star now, but she wants to go serious. Yeah, because she, she's just been doing comedies with, with this one guy for the last ten years. Yep. Uh, he reacts to this news in the only reasonable way, burning the only copy of his next play. Well, like, oh, as, as we said, you are, you're a playwright. <laughs> Every day I do it. Every day you burn, a, you burn a manuscript. Every day I write a whole play, go to an actress, uh, print it out, and then delete the file and mm-hmm. say... We're going to do this. And when she says, no, I want to do a drama, I dramatically throw it into a fire. Yeah. It's, it's daily. I'm just finally glad that, because so much, so much of the time in the entertainment and media and film, you see representations of the theatre that are all glamorous. And you don't see the hard, tough work, the days of rehearsal, the weeks of just burning <laughs> script after script. Did you know that playwrights are worse than cows for the environment? <laughs> Yeah, you know, so, I hear you've got. I hear you got a, just like a paper mill inside your house now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Just it's to a, keep up the demand. So you've seen the paper mill. So, at the same time, well, so um, they've all just moved into a very fancy house together. Yeah. They've finally moved out of their their New York shithole. Yeah, MS or Lake. They call it the wet house. The the the, the cold water house. The cold water house. Yeah, because yeah. maybe it didn't have running hot water. Oh, I thought it was... Yep, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So they moved out of their shitty New York apartment into a, frankly, too big house in in, uh, upstate New York countryside. It seems begging you to look at it and go, this is a set. Yes. There's so much space. Well, that's that's something I was was reading up about about Douglas Sirk's movies uh, a few years ago. Yeah. For a different thing I was working on. Mm -hmm. And and someone pointed out, it was like, the, like... Someone was talking about how, like, du- Douglas Sirk's films are, like, 
so heightened and so stylized yeah. that like like a, a, a achieve like a, a a distancing effect just like by by trying so hard to be like this is a movie yeah this is such a movie yeah that, that they become obviously a movie um uh, yeah it's hyper realistic yeah. it's it's candy colored and that's great they're all happy the new drama is a success that she does and it gets her job on an italian film which... and, and but like while, while, while all this is happening there was kind of like more and more like building up tensions between sarah jane and and her mum as as like the years have gone on sarah jane like wants more and more to like be able to assert herself and to be able to like yeah to be, to be able to live as a, a white person yeah in a way that you can feel like she's very conflicted yeah. about, and you can feel that she's feeling the pressure essentially to be white from yes. society, um, and and also just like every time she is able to like establish a white identity for herself, her mother she, she believes like ruins it by being there and being obviously black. Earlier, her mum visited her at school and outed her as as black to everyone there, uh, and she said, I'll never go back to school. That yeah. was the first time she says she wants to kill herself, I believe. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of people threatening suicide in this movie, because yeah. it's, it's a melodrama. And now, ten years in the future past that, she's dating a guy who's white and doesn't know that she's black. And yes. it's like, you can't ever tell him she, 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 she's keeping She's keeping the, the, the relationship a secret from from everyone. At, at one point, she, she pretends to be sick she she avoids going on a picnic with steve so she can go meet her her boyfriend yeah because at the same time Susie and steve are spending a lot of time together and this is 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 when laura and steve start spending time together again because they were engaged for about 10 seconds 10 years ago oh yeah that's right yeah and then then laura left steve to to like follow follow her passion of acting and now steve has come back into their lives yeah as laura goes to film in italy yes uh steve looks after Susie, and Susie develops a big crush on him and yep. it was at this point he's like, the greatest man of all time <laughs> yeah this is also when we see the headshots on the wall <laughs> and this is also the point where i'm like oh steve's gonna turn out to be gross too this film is not about race it's about men being terrible um but that well you know it, it leaves that implicit that men are terrible yeah oh no but it's not but not steve steve's wonderful yeah because Susie tells Sarah Jane, I love Steve. They just keep saying Steve. It's ridiculous. Like, it's it's so not, like, a hot movie character name. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's specifically my dad's name, which is my <laughs> biggest issue with it. That, that's the most troubling part of it for me. So he I, would have been ooh, not alive. At a certain point, Sarah Jane uh, sneaks out of the house at night to go and see her boyfriend, and he... He, he arrives and he's finally like he, he's heard from other people around town yeah. that that his, that his girlfriend is secretly black and hiding it from him yeah. and he reacts to this uh the, the way you'd expect a like a white teenager in the late 50s in america to react a, to that a pointedly aryan one yes isn't his name's franklin or something yes yeah, it's frank i believe frank he becomes very violent just sort of out of nowhere it's and starts hitting her in the face the only action in the film yeah it's very upsetting yeah he screams the n-word at her he yeah. and as, as soon as he starts to hit her jazz music starts playing very loudly in one of the like least appropriate moments of scoring i've ever heard everything about this film is good except it is scored like when you accidentally have two youtube videos <laughs> playing at the same time there is no sense of cohesion on action 
tone. Yeah. There's no attempt at juxtaposition. It is just like, they're just like, oh, we need some music just to put these files in the timeline randomly. Yeah. There is very little score throughout the movie. I mean, like, in, in, the, in the second half of the movie, there's, there's like, a fair amount of it. And we, we often have, like, jazz music, and that is almost always associated in a film with either violence or degradation or just like kind of general like um, it, it it's associ- it's associated with with, with like the, the blackness of two of the main characters well and so we get another time skip right after about yes. a year or something yeah and we find out sarah jane has left home to work in the library yeah she's moved back to new york she, she's working in the public library there except annie calls the public library and she's not working there She's a go-go dancer at a bar. Yeah. Uh, and it, Called Harry's Club. And it, it's like she's become a stripper or sex worker is what it, we're coded yes. to understand the situation in, even though it's not what we see. She goes into a room full of fully dressed people uh, and lip syncs and does... Maybe the least sexy erotic dance ever captured on film? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. And it's not that the choreographers have done a bad job. When we see other people dancing... They do good jobs. Yeah. This actress, who's great in almost every other camp, simply not a dancer. No. And, and like, not everyone has to be a dancer. No. I, I'm like, I don't have to be a dancer. No, I just choose you, you do to it be. Because you love it. Yeah. Well, I, I feel a magic in my toes. <laughs> in this bizarre extended sequence that it's supposed to be very immoral, but is... So, odd, so tame. So tame and oddly charming. <laughs> Because, like, it seems like she's really trying. Yeah. yeah. Not, not just like the actress, but, like, the, the character. You know, it yeah. seems like she's she she really wants to, you know, give being, being a dancer a good go. But, like, the Pink Panther last week had better attempts at eroticism. <laughs> is, that, is that monstrous to say? Um, <laughs> that film was, let's be clear, much worse. Uh, um, Annie confronts her backstage, yeah. once again outing her as black. Her career as a dancer is immediately over. She's yes. through, there's nothing Sarah Jane can do. It's very sad. Yeah, and then, then we have a scene of, of Sarah Jane like carrying her bags out, out onto the street. She's, she's being kicked out of this club, which I guess she was living at. And Annie tries to tries to talk to her again, and Sarah Jane doesn't want to... She, she wants to have nothing to do with her mother. Because ha- having her mother around is just a constant reminder that like, she will, like, she'll never be accepted by, by white people as fully as she wants to be accepted. She basically tells her mother, I, I never want to see you again. Annie, who has been growing her, like, weaker throughout the film, has been having has been having medical problems and, like, dizzy spells, falls down on, like, a apartment, apartment stoop and just sort of cries for a bit. Yeah, she does some great looking through banisters crying. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's exceptional. Highly recommend that <laughs> bit of crying. The rest of the film's fine. Um... And it's about this time that Susie finds out that Laura and uh, Stephen are engaged. Yes. And so she reacts negatively to it. Yeah. We have, like, the, the two, like, big, like, mother-daughter conflicts in the movie are, one, like, this relationship is being poisoned by the, the racism of America yeah. and trying to exist within, trying to exist as a black person within that system. And the other one is they both think the same guy's hot. Yeah. And it's very interesting because I feel like it's pretty clear that they pitched this film that the, like, mother and daughter going after the same guy is the A plot with racism as a B plot, you know, to get it made. When it is clearly the other way around. Yeah. Like it, it, it almost, like, it, it almost doesn't matter that Susie is in love with Steve. Well, 
it's also it doesn't really matter that Lana Turner is in the film. Yeah. She she's fine, she does a good job, but she's not the lead. Annie no. is the lead, right? Yeah, and I think like right, right at the right at the end of the film, we definitely realize that like no this is about her and she is the character who's like the most important one to to the story. Yeah. Right at the end of the film uh, Annie, after seeing her daughter one one more time, find at the Moulin Rouge in LA, of yes. course. Yeah, she 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 goes to LA and she 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 finds her daughter is yet again working as a dancer. Yeah, and but this time she's like a, a chorus girl. And this time it is somewhat emphasised the bizarreness and jerkiness of the dancing by having her surrounded by competent dancers. Yeah. They have a massive confrontation in the dressing room. Uh, I think they, they say it's, it's her hotel room. Oh, a hotel room. Yeah. Um, which is where kind of everything comes out. I, I wish you had never been my mother. Yeah, and, and, and so like, and Annie is finally able is like able to express how much she, she loves her daughter and she says, like, I, I, I know you don't want me in your life and I accept that. I just it, wanted to see you. I just want to see you and let you know that there will always be a place for you with me. Yeah, uh, and it's it's just great. It's yeah. real good. It's an incredible scene. Well acted. I'm kind of close to tearing up just thinking about <laughs> yeah. how good that scene is. Um, and that is juxtaposed against the other two fighting over a man. And so Susie responds by saying, "I'm not going to go study in New York to be close to you. I'm going to go study in Denver." And yeah. then suddenly, everyone in Denver is like the end of the world. They're like, "You're going to Denver? How dare you, Colorado? It's barely a state." Colorado where they use dinosaurs as trash compactors <laughs> that was it was implied um, and there was this is when I realized that the thing I like the most about the film is that of the core four and you know Steve yeah they're all basically nice people and you can always entirely understand their points of conflict and all of their conflict is within each other so there's no one no one is coming in and being like for a film about racism there's only one racist capital R racist yeah. in the film. We're all racist in different ways, some worse than others. Yeah, but... and like, there, there, there are so many moments throughout the film where, where Susie and, and Laura like say kind of casually racist things to, to Annie and Sarah yeah. Jane, but and, and, as you said before, the film is like very like clear about about like calling that out and like making them understand like the like position of privilege they're in. And then Annie dies, yeah. which is very sad. Yeah, well, she dies of a broken heart. Yeah, so I think the, the same thing that that Natalie Portman dies of in <laughs> in Star Wars Episode Three. One of her last lines is is tell Sarah Jane that if I loved her too much, I'm sorry. She just says I'm just so tired. She dies. Uh, it's great. And um, earlier in the film, in just a dashed-off exchange, Annie is talking about all the people at her church who she's friends with, the Mason societies. Yeah, yeah. She, 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 she's a member of, like, multiple, like, societies. And she she, she sort of she saw, like, re- reveals to, to, to Laura that she leads, like, she leads a very, like, full life out, outside of Laura's house. And Laura's is like... Oh, I, I, I never knew any of this about you. And she said, yeah, you, you've never asked me. And, and so at Annie's funeral, it's like the Queen has died. Yeah, it's it's this massive, beautiful church. Yeah. There, there are four white horses. Yeah, there are easily four or five hundred people just inside the church. Yeah. There is Mahalia Jackson doing like a gospel solo. It's hardcore. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and 
a lot of the crowd are black people. Yes. And and, uh, and all kind of coming together to, to remember Annie, this great woman. Yeah, and I, I think it's definitely an interesting choice by the film. Like, like right, right, I mean, you, you have a sort of reveal, but like, she was like a like major figure in her community. Yeah. But we, like, we never see any of that throughout yeah. the film. Because the film is like, so much told from like from Laura's perspective or from Susie's perspective and and like it just like really like drives home how oblivious these two are like even though Annie has been such a large part of their life for over a decade that they like they still don't understand like the role that like she had as a person outside of someone who worked for them and was their friend. And uh, Sarah Jane turns up at the after the funeral and yep. says, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean it." And it's it's a very sad. Then racism is solved. Yes, and the forever is over. And it, I just I worry we've been so light on jokes, but that's because it's a. There's not much in it that's silly enough to joke about. No, it's it's. And also the other things to joke about, uh, I just don't. I just, <laughs> don't want to get cancelled no absolutely and I, because i don't want to make those jokes no yeah i have no interest to in make it's not i'm not I'm now now i'm terrified no, look, you, you you you're being censored by the radical left no, i've just got all these racist boring jokes about this film boiling up inside me the thing is you you've got an snl audition coming up and you you don't you don't want to get kicked off the show i just want a situation in which I can say the name of the character as the first thing that character says. It's all I want. I just want to sit in front of Lorne Michaels and say, hi, I'm, I'm going to be doing my new sketch character. Oh, drunk auctioneer. Hello, everyone. Oh, I'm, I'm a, a drunk, drunk auctioneer. auctioneer. <laughs> Take that Saturday Night Live. Oh, good bit. Lorne, take that Lorne Michaels. So. Yeah, popcorn eating weirdo. <laughs> So, hard question. The 1959 Imitation of Life by Douglas Sirk. Shite or sound? Sound. Yeah, or sound, I mean, sound, it's sound. obviously sound. Um, this, this is an incredible film. Uh, highly recommend it. And, like, watchable to the, Like, it was about the racial politics of the time at the time. Like, yeah. it, it's, you don't have to watch her holding your nose because it always wanted you to hold yeah. your nose. Like, it's still, like, paced really well. It still looks beautiful. Yeah. Great acting. Re- really worth watching. Uh, my experience got a lot better finding out that the actress who played Sarah Jane is not white. Yeah. Because she has, in the film, she has the look in 1959 of possibly being, you know, a Jenna or Ariana Grande and being a white person who's darked up a little. Yeah. Which would really kick a bit of this film in the shins. Yes. So I've got a question for you. Do you remember f- my favourite back in 1917? My favourite entertainer was Baby Jane Hudson. Do you remember her? I I I I remember great songs she used to sing. I remember one song, which is about her her father is dead. Yes, and she she wants to communicate with him in, in some sort of way. But at the same time, her father was the musician playing the song for her. But audiences yes. loved her. Well, it's it's, it's about character. She's playing a yeah. character, you know. Oh right, yeah. right. I, is she? Um, and so, yeah, she's doing well. She's got this sister named Blanche, mm-hmm. who uh, looks like someone misremembering Wednesday Adams. <laughs> and she wants ice cream. She she wants ice cream, and she she's mad. She's she's mad about it. But yeah, so that baby Jane, whatever happened to <laughs> to her? Well, I heard she went crazy and imprisoned her sister. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Oh. So smash cut. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> oh no, it's now 20 years later. It's the 30s. It cuts to 1935. That's right. And there's the two movie dudes. There's two movie dudes in the cinema. Yeah, they're, they're in like a studio screening room. They're, they're watching, watching a new film starring Baby Jane Hudson, gr- yeah. all grown up now. Yeah. And she, not a very good actress. Well, she's such a bad actress that they seem to have replaced the film with footage from Betty Davis films. <laughs> it's, it's odd. It's bizarre. Anyway, maybe they, they, they seem to be very similar looking. Um, but apparently the film is very bad. I didn't get a sense that the film was very bad. Well, I, I think maybe she wasn't great at accent work, and that's all they had an issue with. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so these two guys are like, oh, but we've got to make another Baby Jane film, because Blanche, her sister, yeah. the biggest star in the in, world, in the world um, has a deal in her contract that Baby Jane has to make a film for every film. Blanche, mate. You, you think maybe they just give her, like, a bit role in her sister's films so they won't have to make her a star of her own films? Yeah, a real, like, Mary-Kate Ashley Olsen situation. Yeah. We all know We Ash- know who was the talented one. <laughs> <laughs> of, of the Olsen, of Mary-Kate Ashley Olsen. They know, is it the one who married the... French banker? <laughs> I thought he was the French prime minister. No, no, he, he has the same name as someone who... He has the same... He's like... I think he's related to Nicolas Sarkozy, who's the French right, prime he minister. Is, he is French a Sarkozy. Yeah. Um, I, I think he, like, works... He works for like, some, like, big French bank. And is probably deeply involved in a bunch of terrible stuff. <laughs> I mean, I would say working for a bank is ooh, the worst thing a human could do. No, there are many people who... Who work very hard at banks and mean no ill. Oh, I mean like one or two. The one or two who are listening to this. You're the good people at banks. The don't, one... don't don't ever change. Don't sell out. You're doing you're doing great. Yeah. Money is a fundamentally good idea. <laughs> <laughs> what it has done by in terms of accelerating capitalism is good no <laughs> okay. uh, no started with a thumbs down and is now going between the two oh, it's, it's so hard to tell what's good and what's bad anymore and i mean that is a really good statement to make about whatever happened to baby jane <laughs> because now we get a sequence uh uh a woman is walking in front of gates at a house we can't see well so, so these two men at, at the studio they're, they're talking about how much it sucks we have to make a baby jane hudson movie all the time yeah and that she's a drunk and that she's unprofessional, yeah. but they have to keep making movies if they want to keep making films with Blanche Hudson, the biggest star in the, in the history yeah. of the world. And then later that night, they um, there uh, a car hits a woman. Essentially, we don't know who was driving. We don't know who the woman was. Cut to now. It's nineteen. Well, it, well it's it's yesterday. It's yesterday. That's right. Yeah. So the the film cuts from nineteen seventeen to nineteen thirty five to yesterday. Yeah. The three genders. Yeah. <laughs> and. So now we meet Baby Jane, who in the 20 years since 1937 has aged 40 years. At some point yep. she looked into a dark star and has weathered. Yeah, and at uh, some point she, 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 she looked at, the, she looked at the, the portrait that she keeps in her attic. Yeah, and it's looking incredible. <laughs> the portrait made a deal with her. <laughs> um, she, it is, she's wearing so much makeup as both in and out of character, like... The 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 look they have put on Betty Davis's face is incre- It's like a, yeah, it's almost a kabuki mask. Yeah, it's it, almost. It, it, it reminds me a lot of there's a German film from from, from the early thirties called called the, the the Blue Angel, starring Emil Jennings and Marlena Dietrich. Yeah, and there is a scene right at the end of that movie 
where Emil Jennings, who starts off as like this uh, very like prestigious university professor, has j- his soul has just been destroyed over over years, and he's now a shitty clown in a traveling circus. And his whole act is just like he goes on stage and looks horrifying, and people laugh at him. And then he eventually tries to kill someone. But like B- Betty Davis in this movie looks like this like horrifying, disgusting clown man from from nineteen thirties. It's incredible, and she carries with it. This, because this is a character who's completely lost her mind. Yeah. That's pretty apparent from the beginning. She, she, she still sort of believes that she's, I don't know, like eight years old. There's a tragic and heartbreaking infantilization that goes on. Um, but she is like, she has the unnerving, wild energy that Steve Martin had last week. As yeah. the but this time. Like she, she feels genuinely dangerous. Um, in a way that. I, like I did not take many if any notes for this film because I was just I had no idea what the hell was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I know I know the memes from this film. I've seen RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> I've got two eyes and a heart, don't I? <laughs> but understanding how they all connect together and seeing how the situation escalates yeah. is so hypnotic and incredible. Yeah. Um, and so, so so now now we're, we're on yesterday and we see, we see that that, that baby Jane is a crazy person and that her sister Blanche is uh, uh, is wheelchair bound. Yeah. Which and leads us to believe that of course uh, uh, that of course baby Jane uh, ran her sister over uh, those you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and she's confined to upstairs pretty much to her room with baby Jane uh, waiting on her hand and foot. And they have a, a contentious relationship. Yes. But, but, but Blanche doesn't seem to realise they have a contentious relationship. Yeah, Blanche is uh, Joan Crawford, it yes. must be pointed out, and Joan Crawford doing a kind of slightly humdrum, that sounds insulting, like a flat, uh, uh, effortless, realist performance yeah. of a woman just dealing with life in a wheelchair. Yeah, she, she is doing the exact opposite performance to Betty Davis. And they, like, they are doing two performances that should cancel each other out. But they amplify yeah, each they, other. Yeah, they work together so well. Well, and the fact that they were having an actual proper feud <laughs> on the set. Well, I, don't, I don't know if you're allowed to say the word feud in relation oh, to them. That we'll is get true. Sued. They ha- having a contretemps. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Sorry, Ryan Murphy. Please. Please, I have a family. I don't have a family. I don't, you know. I don't have a family in the way that someone would beg a gunman. He's like, don't shoot me, I have parents. (laughs) (laughs) Don't shoot me. I have cousins on both sides. Yeah, she doesn't seem to notice. It's going along, but yeah, baby Jane kind of really resents the situation yeah she 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 believes like blanche has like you know has has essentially taken everything from her but she also blames herself in a sense for for crippling blanche but also thinks that blanche kind of deserved it yeah for for like ruining her life and taking the popularity that that should have been hers um and then she blanche has been planning to sell the house for quite a while yeah um, and tells baby Jane. Well, she, she, she's, she's been planning with, with their, their maid, Elvira. That's the right. Mistress of the Dark. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's great to see her out and about yeah. outside of uh, uh, introducing B films. I, I, yes, I believe so. Yeah, that's the one thing. Well, also, and of course, I love Elvira, two times guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, of course, she was. Oh, she's great. She does yeah. a good job. I mean, I'm sure she does. I mean, she's. Of ours, a class act. And so when Baby Jane finds out that the house is to be sold, things escalate. Escalate. Like she, she, she's always held with a similar resentment towards her sister, but now when she realizes that, like, that, like, she is not going to be able to live in their in their like child childhood home anymore, yeah. and like she, 
Like, well, good. first thing she kills Blanche's uh, pet bird and tries to feed it to her. Yes. Um, in a very, like, ju- it's just on the plate. She's not trying to hide it, you know? It's yeah. not, like, she, not she, 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 Andronicus. She, she, she wants Blanche to know, I killed your bird, yeah. and I'm going to make you eat it, and this is the only thing you have to eat. Which makes this scene also a perfect fit for, like, a Guy Ritchie film. <laughs> I killed your bird. <laughs> um, which she then repeats... With a rat. Yes. Um, to, to great comic effect. <laughs> it's great. Well, because oh. the bird has been set up. Yeah. Um, we've seen the bird. We, we're tracking the movements of the bird. When it turns up on the plate, it's surprising but inevitable great twist. The second time, the scene starts with going like, did I mention there are some rats downstairs? Oh, yeah. like, so like, B- B- Baby Jane like, takes, takes Blanche's food up to her. Puts the like silver tray down down on the down on the table with like a, with a lid over it, and then walks out of the room. As she's leaving a the room, cloche, she... I believe oh, they call it. Okay. <laughs> as she's leaving the room, she just turns around and casually mentions, "Oh, so I mentioned there are rats in the cellar." And as soon as she says that, we know there's a rat under there. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the look of horror on Blanche's face is she knows she's going to have to lift it up and she's going to see a rat. And then she lifts it up and she sees a rat. And she's like, the only thing that would make this rat worse is if it was on a bed of exclusively shredded tomato. <laughs> and it is. No! <laughs> um, and she just wipes it off the table. Um, no more rat for me, thanks. Which makes... And this is the point where it becomes clear that baby Jane is possibly trying to starve Blanche to death. Yeah. Um, because uh, the next day she's like, I'm hungry, because you didn't bring me breakfast. And she goes, I didn't bring you breakfast, because you didn't eat your dinner. Um, I believe she says dindins. Dindins, of course. <laughs> I apologise. Miss Davis, if you're listening. Yeah, so, so she, she, she realises that, that, that her sister is, is essentially trying to kill her, and that like her being stuck upstairs in a wheelchair is going to be a real obstacle for her. Yeah. And and so she starts trying to trying trying to figure out ways that, that she she can escape. She writes a note on a typewriter to try and throw to the nosy neighbor across the yeah. driveway, but but the note is intercepted by by Jane at the last second. She uh, she she eventually takes it to, to the level where she is gets out of a wheelchair and drags herself down a flight of stairs yeah. in a sincerely suspenseful sequence yeah um for all that this is absolutely a camp classic and it is it's also like good it's, yeah, it's also, there's a lot of no, but, there's a lot of really good filmmaking but camp isn't a synonym for bad yeah it's, it's good camp but like it's good camp but it's also like good on a genuine level if you want to experience it yeah there doesn't have to be a level of irony and appreciation yeah. for it Baby Jane, at the same time, uh, you know, planning for the death of her sister, which maybe she's kind of doing subconsciously, like it's less. She's out of her mind. Yeah. Um, she, she she's trying to like she she wants to wants to get back in, into into singing. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, hires a uh, pianist. Yeah. Who's the the schlubby giant alcoholic? Yeah, is that the one who's played played by Victor Bono? Yeah, it's Victor Bono. Yeah, uh, I, I believe that's like his first film role because he's introducing in the credits. Oh, let's find out. Come on, Wikipedia. It won an Oscar. Okay. Oh, he is King Tut on Batman in the Adam West Batman. Okay. We meet him in a scene with his mother, who appears to be. Uh, an inch tall and him a mile. He is. It is like obviously people aren't you know don't necessarily have to be like the same height as their parents. I, I'm I'm taller than both my parents. Yeah, but like there there is there is no way there is no possible way that they're like this giant of a man 
but there's something there's something beautifully brawly about him in that he's like a lumbering bear making his way through the world. Who just wants to be a piano player. He just wants to be a piano he, player. Um, and so, so, uh, so, so, Baby Jane places places an ad in, in a newspaper looking for looking for uh, uh, looking for accompanists. He he responds to the ad after the scene where him and his mother seem to be competing to see who can do the least convincing English accent. Yeah, it's not it's the, not the best. No, for, for, for throughout his scenes of the movie, he like sort of fluctuates between like English, German, maybe South African. There's there's one line reading where it sounds like he's doing like it was sort of like an Indian thing. I and I think that because his character is also a drunk, I yeah. think it's yeah. Com- I think that is the problem is that he's trying to do both English and drunk at the same time. Yeah, um, and m- maybe he's also like trying to imitate people at other points. Yeah, and so he meets they meet up and like there's an which is to say Baby Jane and. Um, Edwin yeah. is his name, the pianist, and they have an odd kind of chemistry that's also temp- tempered by like him demanding money. Yeah, um, so she, she like instantly seems to like be just to- totally into him because he is very willing to do whatever this crazy woman says so that he can get some money out of it. Yeah, there seems to be some kind of a sincere. Yeah, oh, yeah well, he, he seems genuinely hurt later on when he like finds out that she's a crazy murderer. Yeah. Um... And so then uh, Baby Jane uh, forges Blanche's signature to get some costumes made. Yeah, we find out when like, uh, Blanche goes through Baby Jane's uh, personal effects that Jane has been practicing forging her signature for seemingly years. Yeah. And has, has her own, and has basically like, stolen Blanche's checkbook and is just being like living off as she wants off of Blanche's money. Yeah, and she steals a whole. It's just. It's just Blanche's check. It's just referred to, as, yeah. right? We're not sure what it's for. No. Um, my presumption is, oh, we are introduced. The exposition mechanism to bring us up to the modern day of yesterday is the neighbours talking about them, um, talking about Baby Jane and Blanche because Blanche's films are on TV as a special season, and I think it's the money from that. Right. Yeah. She cashes that check to pay Edwin, um, and fires. She, she, she fires Elvira. She, she fires Elvira because El, Elvira is too close to Blanche, and and two, the, the two of them be, being friends will be a hindrance to to, to Jane's plans. Yeah. So so she she fires Elvira. And and well, basically... she finds Elvira, then goes to cash the check. Yeah. While she's cashing the check, Elvira comes back to the house because she's now suspecting that something has gone wrong. Yeah, and mainly because Baby Jane is acting like a, a malfunctioning <laughs> AI. And, and so Elvira goes inside. She she goes up to Blanche's room, finds that it's locked, and she goes and gets a hammer uh, and is trying to like basically break open the door. Just just then, Jane comes back. Yeah. And she tries to confront Elvira and stop her from going in and seeing Blanche. Seemingly, at, at, at a certain point, uh, Elvira is able to, to convince Jane to, to let her in. And uh, stupidly, uh, Elvira puts down the hammer that she was holding yeah. and goes in to see Jane, uh, mouth gagged, arms like tied up to to the like uh, uh, to the uh, lever she uses to pull herself in and out of bed, mm-hmm. and. Then Jane comes behind her and smashes the head in with a hammer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you don't see it. 
No. And she it's this we're not in an irreversible situation. No. She doesn't midsummer her. Um I mean, but if, if only. <laughs> I mean we were talking during the film if I obviously just go watch what ever happened to Baby Jane. It's a good film. Yeah. But if we need a modern remake, Jeremy Solnier. <laughs> the oh, green, room, green room, blue, blue ruin, murder party. Yeah. Hold just the dark. Moments of just incredible, horrible violence and otherwise tension. Um, it'd be great. Not a joke. Just a just a sincere. Just, just a genuine thing with like. And so she uh, gets rid of the buddy. She, she puts it in Blanche's wheelchair yeah. and wheels it out. Wheels it out the door. And when, when the scene was happening, we, we couldn't we couldn't tell uh, who was supposed to be in the wheelchair. Yeah. And so we, we thought it was supposed to be Joan Crawford, but it just basically looked like. A sack of potatoes in the shape of a human. <laughs> yeah, and it's not no person no. was ever inside that body bag. No. Um, but it turns out it's Elvira's body that she's taken somewhere to, to dump. Yeah. Uh, but the neighbor interrupts, and there's this real tension that the neighbor might get it, and I was like, oh, yeah, the neighbor's next. Never no. see the neighbor again. Neighbor's fine. Uh, so we should, we should have said the reason that, that Blanche is tied up and gagged in her room is because Jane came in and caught her on, on the phone earlier when she'd, when she'd gone downstairs and Jane kicked the shit out of her. Oh, that's right. That was horrifying. Yeah. There's this, like, like in, in both of these movies, violence just sort of comes out of nowhere yeah. in, like, genuinely upsetting ways. I want to say it's great, but it's not great. It's good, it's good filmmaking. Yes, it is. It's it's very strong filmmaking. Good filmmaking, guys. <laughs> um, And so then, panicking because of that, she cancels. Well, uh, Edwin turns up. Yeah. And, she, and Baby Jane has a breakdown. She can't come to the door. So Edwin gets annoyed which seems very rude i don't like him in that scene no he's 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 drunk yeah oh yeah i mean i like him in that scene then um and he goes away and he comes back the next day i believe you for dean big fan of alcoholism (laughs) yeah i just think if you're going to be addicted to something be addicted to the thing that makes people more violent and worse at driving it's also the easiest thing to get oh i don't know caffeine hmm Television. Mm, yeah. What about the worst drug mm. that we're all addicted to? Oxygen. Mm? You know what? You make a good point. <laughs> <laughs> he's holding his breath. Wow, and he's doing fine. <laughs> what are you juggling? <laughs> uh, the problem with mind juggling is you is it, have to it say just looks what like it you're is. confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or like sexually harassing a giant. <laughs> He's standing under the giant and feeling the <laughs> testicles. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> took, took me a while to put that mental image together. Um, and so Edward turns up the next day, but he's totally drunk, so the cops are there. Yeah. Um, because he's drunk, apparently. Yeah, that, that, that's what the, the police are for, is for just, like, lightly reprimanding a drunk. Yeah. Well, that, that and uh, enforcing fascist capitalist ideas of property ownership yeah um, like mainly the first thing i feel like they're the same thing really because they're probably angriest about the person who that alcohol belonged to um he's just renting the alcohol wallets and he's like this is a, is this a thing okay finn yes hear me out will you invest in my company alcohol rental uh no so you drink it's already no, enough. Don't. Okay, Finn, listen to me. Okay, am I doing this as me or as a character you're talking to? Because um, that changes things. No, I'm, I'm, I want you. Okay, so you don't drink alcohol. I, I don't. Do you think people should drink alcohol full stop? Uh, I think we would be better if they didn't. Huh. 
at all if it had never been invented. What if I told you that I had a way to make that we could change in a second? Okay. In a, in a second. Yeah. That would make people drink less. People would still have fun because oh, you can't have like fun that. without alcohol. <laughs> I want to be clear on that. Yeah, I've, I've never enjoyed myself for a second of my life. <laughs> no. I, I mean... I Am I joking? Who can tell? Brief moment. To define Finn as a person for new listeners... He's someone who both says that he's never had fun as a joke, but also, when he's very sad, says it sincerely. <laughs> I'm also true. It's also true of me. Um, okay, so you're, we don't buy alcohol anymore. No one buys alcohol. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm liking it so far. Okay, you hire alcohol. And what does that entail? So, you drink it, and then... <laughs> you vomit it back <laughs> Into the bottle. <laughs> You can't have consumed anything else, and you have to have the acid and, you know, gunk removed from your tum. Because right in, gets you drunk, right out. Then more people will get drunk on less alcohol, which is what you want. I'm I'm, I'm not sure if that is exactly what I want. (laughs) Okay, there's no pleasing you. No, I'm I'm, I'm an unreasonable person with weird Puritan moral standards. Would you, if you could click your fingers, de-invent alcohol? Uh, no, it, it's useful for some stuff. Yeah, sterilization. Like, yeah, it's useful for sterilization. Okay, but not fun. Like if, like, let, 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 let's just put it this way: I'm having a very, I'm having a very hard time deciding which way I'm going to vote in the upcoming like, marijuana re- referendum. <laughs> At least you, because for that, so you've shifted. No, I, I think I, I was, I was always sort of on the fence about it. I think mm. like if. If I'm voting purely selfishly, I'm I'm voting no, keep keep legal. If I'm voting for like what I actually think is probably like, do, like if I'm voting for like harm reduction, yeah. I, I have to vote for legalization. Yeah, I I feel like not to pressure you, <laughs> voting that it should stay illegal is voting to put more yeah, no, innocent yes. brown yeah, no, people in that's, prison. That's, that's a big deal, and, and, and I I don't like and, that that's happening. To, just for the record. I think that innocent brown people should <laughs> not gonna go, go to prison. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think all... I, I think people should have to do I don't know crimes before they go to prison. <laughs> I just feel like almost anything that is violent, maybe go to prison. Yeah, white collar crime, prison. Yep. yep, talking too loud in films, supermax prison. Absolutely. Um, and of course, I guess maybe heroin. Is bad. Dealing heroin, using heroin will get you help. So, Edwin turns up. He's real drunk. He busts through the house. You'll, um, she's like, sit down, sit down, I'll get your money. Gets out. The famous, there are many dolls of Baby Jane. At yeah. the concert we saw at the beginning, they were giving out dolls. These, these sc- horrifying dolls. Yeah, at the screening, at screenings of this film, they would give out the really? dolls. Really? And the doll is one of the first things you see in the film, and yeah. it it's the two two important facts. First is, I think every doll is slightly different to make them unnerving, and also they are on. It is the invention of the uncanny valley. They are oh, horrifying. They make your skin crawl. Yeah. Anyway, she gives him one. It's like sit down, have a talk. Uh, yeah, hard I, 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 want you to, I want you to sit down and talk to this, like this life-size facsimile of me as a child. Yeah, uh, then hard cut to. Well, he, he looks him... over and sees Blanche's empty wheelchair <laughs> in the corner. Um, him drunkenly going along in the wheelchair with the 
the doll tucked in his front like he's a kangaroo. Yeah, and he's like wrapped a blanket around his head and he blasts for a door screaming, I am the super chief! Which yeah. I, is a reference to something, but yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah, no. I think it might be a train. I feel like it is the madness of the film leaking and spiking, you know? Like a solar flare. Like, I've, I've definitely heard the term super chief before, and I... I think it's I think it's a real thing that he's making a reference to. It sounds like a band. Um, yeah, there was definitely a band in in the early six in like nineteen sixty two called Super Chief. So at, at this point, he, he's he's blasting along in the wheelchair, and <laughs> it is for how brief it is. It's maybe two seconds he's doing yeah. this. It is indelible in the memory. <laughs> like, vivid through pages. It, it, it is one, one of the great moments of cinema. Is is yeah. this gigantic man with a horrifying doll on his lap, beating around in a wheelchair, screaming nonsense. Put it up there with the baby carriage down the footsteps. With, um... Embellish it Potemkin. Yeah. Yep. No. Which we're going to watch, right? Yeah. Um, he heads upstairs. He And of course, once again, it's the situation with Elvira all over again. She bursts into the room and sees the bound and gagged Blanche. Yep. But instead of trying to do something about it like a good person, he just sort of freaks out and runs out of the house. Like a coward. Yep. Yeah. While, while Jane is behind him just like, just, just like... Shouting, here's your money, I'll give you your money, let's yeah. be friends. And for a situation that is, you know, on the face of it, uh, uh, a drunken degenerate finding a torture a torture, a torture dungeon. Who who asks, doesn't he, doesn't she ask him, please help? No, that's later. Um, and then being like almost assaulted and then with having money by an insane woman surprisingly heartbreaking like yeah. it's it's moving you feel for all of these characters yeah and like, as as he like runs out of the door onto the street you see like you see like you see jane like realizing like you know, she's just she's just lost the like closest thing she had to a friend yeah he's he's never coming back and she just she just starts muttering he hates me yeah he he, he hates me and it's it's real yeah um and so then once again, we get to see her pulling someone down the stairs in the wheelchair. This time, it is Blanche, and this time it's also framed so you can't see, like you can't see the wheelchair actually going down the stairs. Sadly, yeah. so you don't get to see the image of of Hollywood legend John Crawford <laughs> being pulled down a flight of stairs in a wheelchair. Um, and it was at this point that I wondered if this show, this this film, could last forever with just progressively different people coming in and being moved down the stairs in the wheelchair. Yeah. But it's, sadly, sadly, it's, it's not to be. The yeah. movie's almost over. Um, and so, uh, Baby Jane takes them to the beach. She yeah. remembers uh, when she used to rehearse on the beach with Daddy. And everyone would come see Baby Jane. Yeah. And so, and it's sort like one like last good memory of childhood that she can still sort of hang on to. Yeah, and Blanche uh, is emaciated, lying there on the on the sand, looking just in terrible pain. Yeah. Um. Uh, and while Baby Jane is just fully regressed to a child at this yeah. point, she, she's just sort of like walking around in circles on the beach, like burying her feet in the sand. Uh, nearby, at an drinks. Like well, also caravan. like that, 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 that happens at night. I mean, like in, in the morning, they've, they've been on the beach for whole night. Yeah, like they're Blanche, on the front page of the news. Yeah, Blanche is getting weaker and weaker. Yeah, there, there, there's a radio announcement about them uh, uh, about 
Jane's kidnapping of her sister. Yeah. The, 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 bo- the body of a maid has been found. That's on the front page of the news. Mm. And so ev- everyone is looking for them, but none of the people at the beach can seem to tell that these... These two very noticeable people sitting right near them. Is this the beginning of imitation of life? Because there are people everywhere at the beach. Um, And in this little caravan, this like drinks caravan, two cops with their backs to baby Jane. If they but moved their heads a hundred degrees, they would see, you know, they don't have to do the full 180. Um, They're talking about it. And then baby Jane just comes up by some ice cream. Oh no. So, so, so someone comes up to the to, to, to the stand and, and mentions to the police officers there's like a car there's a Lincoln Continental that's like parked in the road all crazy and they're like oh Lincoln Continental that's, that's a car that baby James on we should go check that out and so they, they go over there and then while they're over checking out the car Jane comes up to buy some ice creams yeah for, for, for her and Blanche yeah strawberry ice creams strawberry ice creams um, and then the police catch her but she's just a child, and Blanche is probably dead. Yeah, and like, as as the police are like trying to trying to talk to her, trying to get some sort of like coherent, like I- anything out of her. Yeah. P- people are just starting to like form a circle around her on the beach, and and she just sort of like, as a sort of like natural response, just sort of like starts starts like doing her old routine, starts dancing like like she used to fifty years ago. Yeah, of all the films. All four yeah. that we've done so far. This is the one I feel the worst about discussing because I do kind of want to just be like, you should just go see it, and not a, like it's not spoilable. You'll get joy out of the film yeah. having heard us talk about it, but it is like not knowing or only knowing it through pop cultural osmosis. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 a really interesting film to like be able to experience like properly for for the first time. And everyone in it, it's all good. Yeah. And the score is better. The score is coming, and it, it's got good jokes. Yeah. So, for Nicholas, shite or sound? I, I would say, for the first time ever, we've, <laughs> we've got two sounds. sounds. We've got two sounds on an episode. Yeah, call this stereo. Because <laughs> it is... Oh, it's, it's surround sound. Four sounds in an episode. So I have an idea for a segment. Okay. Try. It's a bad segment. Yep. I've got a bad idea for a bad segment. Zero. And then I think as two film-centric comedians trying to make jokes about two just sincerely quite good films. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like a bad segment. Okay, so, um, so I was watching Citizen Kane the other day, and I noticed that he calls his sled Rosebud. Yeah. If I tried to sled on a Rosebud, I'd fall off because ro- Rosebuds are very small. They're very small. <laughs> ah. oh. And now next up good. onto the stage, good stuff. Phineas Nicholas. Okay, I, I, I would I would like to uh, I'd like to p- pitch a segment <laughs> where um, we here's my idea for a segment. I love it already. What if Baby Jane? was a huge Broadway star. <laughs> and Elvira has a daughter. Yeah. The idea that Baby Jane is the twisted mirror of imitation of life, that Baby Jane is what happens when... Imit- like, Baby Jane being Laura and Annie. Yeah, well, like, they're both, like, they're both films that are, like, about these, like... 
their, their films are like are only about women, which is yeah. I think like really interesting. Like yeah. there, there, there's like one or two men in both movies. The yeah. men don't matter that much. Yeah, and they're both like so focused on a female perspective and like really like contentious female relationships. Yeah. but in a way that like it doesn't like doesn't really demonize anyone. Yeah, and. I mean, well, Baby Jane is a murderer. Sure, <laughs> she's a psycho but, but, murderer. But like, but like, the, the, we 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 understand like why she is like that, and she is not like that because of like some inherent fault in herself. Yeah, she yeah. she she was made like that yeah. by by like show business. Yeah, and by like the, the pressures of like of trying to be a performer. Yeah, and I mean like, but both both of these films like do like, but both of these films are like yeah, they they're both about. At least on on certain level, they're about like trying to be a performer and how like difficult that can be, and this sort of like this sort of mental toll it it takes on a person to yeah, it's like these people we all like take for granted as yeah, it's just like I don't know yeah no good segment yeah no I had not I had not picked up on that that's very interesting well and like there is certainly something in like in both Annie and Blanche. Blanche is white, so there's like, there's obviously not, but like, of them kind of holding the true power in the relationship for so, for so long and kind mm. of being unaware of it, it's very interesting. Yeah. Good movies. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, what is the good movie we're doing next time? Uh, so, next time, I believe, oh, ne- next time our good movie is, uh, uh, it's from the mid-70s, mm-hmm. it's from Germany, it's directed by Rainer Werner Fassbinder, one okay. of the most prolific filmmakers of all time. Yeah, I know. Like, he, he, he made, like, over 40 films in, like, a, like, 15-year career. Yeah. Like, just, like, one of the most insanely productive people who's ever lived, and, like, almost all of his stuff is, like, really good. I'm... And we're, we're, we're watching his film, Ali, Fear Eats the Soul, which is actually an adaptation of one of Douglas Sirk's earlier movies, All oh. the Heaven Allows. Congratulations, Dougie. Double yep. week for Dougie's, Dougie yes. Yeah. And uh, um, so I, th- th- this is going to be the first uh, film series that I've, uh, that I've seen before. I, I, I have not and seen And this is one of my favourite movies. So what are we watching with Fear Eats the Soul? So... Still don't know. Okay, but this uh, it, it, so it, it's it's a movie like it's a movie about class and race and race issues in nineteen seventies Germany. There is a like a, there is a, a lot of there's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about, and I'm going to figure out what we're going to pair it with. <laughs> Good, um, and just got to finish by saying a famous ending catchphrase. Movies are good, <laughs> even bad ones. <laughs> Go watch them. <laughs> I presume yeah. they get pretty good podcast reception out there. Sure. Still real. I mean, with all that time, you'd get through everything. Yeah. All podcasts. Oh, no. Including, like, daily podcasts. Oh, man. There must be more podcasts produced than a human could listen to. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Isn't that heartbreaking? Because I read a thing about how there was a guy in, like, seven. Yeah, no, I was, I, was, I was just about to bring this up. Who was, the like, the, the last read... person to, to read every book produced during his life.